come and save us for our sins. Because he loved us and he had to die for our sins. Good morning. It is great to gather with you all again this morning. Um, we are wrapping up our series this morning on Back to the Basics, where we've just been going back to why did everything happen? Like we looked at who is Jesus? We looked at what did Jesus do last week? We looked at why did he have to do it? And as you saw the kids answering today, kind of why did he do it? What is the reasoning behind it? And, and the reason, I'll just be honest, love. That's the topic of our passage this morning. That's the topic of our sermon this morning is because God loves you. And my prayer through, through all of this series has been that if we go back to the basics and we see who Jesus is, what Jesus did, why he had to do it, and then why he did it, that we would fall more in love with him. Because you see, about four years ago almost, um, I said I do. My life changed. I married the woman that I love, but to be honest, it, it is four years, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, just making sure. I got to look. It was like, hold on, I didn't do the math, but yeah. Um, but I married the woman that I love, but to be honest, I didn't know that I, I mean, I loved her, but like I said before, I was a terrible boyfriend, and so I'm always playing the what ifs, like, this is death do us part, what if she kills me? Um, what if, you know, what if this is not the right decision? So I'm constantly playing that game in my head, and then we say our I do's, and it's like, all right, I'm in this, and then I found out what was I waiting for? Which she was asking that exact same question, most of our dating relationship. What are you waiting for? I'm awesome, just ask me to marry you. It took me a while, men are slower. But I, I didn't realize until we started truly our life together, how much I loved her. And, and I continue to find out more and more how much I love her, but here's one of the big reasons that I love her so much, because she loves me. Like, she truly loves me unconditionally, because my foot goes in my mouth, it just did about 30 seconds ago, and you know, she still loves me. And the more I understand her depth of love for me, the more I just am like, wow, you're incredible. She asked me to say all that just so she'd feel better, but not really, not really. So. But my prayer is that that's what we do with God. That the more we see how much God loves us, because let me tell you, God loves you. And the more that we see how much God loves us, and the more that we understand the depth of God's love for us, then our natural response is 
God, I love you. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to also be in John chapter 3, and we're, we're going to kind of be throughout the Bible, and we're looking at this question of why did Jesus die? Why did he give his life? And the answer is because he loved you. So if you'll stand as we read 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. And then we'll open up in a word of prayer. John tells us this. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Father God, we just come before you, and God, you have completely shown us your love for us. And so, God, I just pray that now as we just kind of dive into your word, and God, as we look deeper into the love that you have for us, God, draw our hearts to you. Give us the new hearts that you promise in Jeremiah, taking our, our hearts of stone and turning them into hearts of flesh, and that we just be in awe of who you are. So God, I just pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So a real quick recap just of the series, because we need to understand where we've been to understand this. Because if it's just like, hey, God loves you, that's something. I mean, that means a lot. But when we, we see where we've come from so far this year, then it just kind of brings it home a whole lot more as we, again, wrap this series up going back to the basics. Where we look first off and we, we see who Jesus is. We have to have that understanding first. That Jesus is the creator of the universe. John chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 4 talks about, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything was created through God, through Jesus. That he was there at the very beginning. So Jesus is creator of the world. Jesus is Lord. Jesus, as Matthew says, whenever Jesus is like, Are you all going to leave me also? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah, the promised one, the only one through whom we can receive eternal life. That is who Jesus is. Uh, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 who Jesus is pretty well. He says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So you see, Jesus is God in flesh. That Jesus was sitting at the right hand of God. He, he had dominion over everything. He was creator over everything, and he humbled himself and came down and dwelt 
among us. John actually tells us that he came to live among his own people, but his own people rejected him. That they did not receive him, so much so that they murdered him. But yet Jesus, God in flesh, came down to dwell among us. It would be like if you in your current state had the option to become a slug. To just be like, you know what, I'm going to lower myself to this slimy creature that honestly I don't know what good they're for. But they exist for a reason maybe. Or let's go mosquitoes. They don't serve a purpose. They're a result of the fall. And yet you lower yourself to that level. Like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower myself and become like that. That is the, not even close to the equivalent of what Jesus did. That he is perfect. He is almighty. He is God, the creator. And he says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to take on their flesh. I'm going to take on their pain. I'm going to take on their sorrow and their sickness. I'm going to dwell among them. Emmanuel, God with us. And then he comes. And he lives the perfect life for us. So this would be like, say, I came to your job and I said, you know what? You get to take the rest of the year off. I'm going to come and do all the work for you. And you know what? I'm going to do it perfectly. I'm going to never miss a day. I'm going to come in and I'm going to fulfill every requirement that your employer is asking you to do to the T. And you get to just live and relax. And then not only that, you get to take home every single paycheck. On top of that, at the end of the year, your employer is going to be so impressed, they are going to give you a million dollar bonus, and you get to keep that as well. That's close to what Jesus did. Where Jesus came down and dwelled among us, and he said, I'm going to live the perfect life that you are not able to live. I'm going to fulfill the requirement of the law that you're never going to be able to fulfill. I'm going to take on the burden of sin that you're supposed to take on, and on top of that, you get heaven. You get to be in perfect relationship with God. That's what's going to happen. Isaiah he tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6, he says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Verse 10. He put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That God did that for us. That Jesus came down to take on flesh and all the negativity that comes along with that for us. He took the whippings. He took the beatings. He took the shame, the scorn, the humiliation of being stripped, of having flesh ripped off his back, of having the thorn put on his head, of having the nails pierce his hands, of having the people ridicule him and say, where's your God now? Save yourself. He took that on for us. As Paul told us, Jesus took on sin and human flesh. 
he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could take on the righteousness of God and have relationship with God. Jesus did all of that for us. Paul sums it up in Philippians 2, where he says that we should have the same mindset among us, which is ours in Christ Jesus. And then he says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That is what Jesus did. We have to remember that. We have to remember who Jesus is, what Jesus did, why he had to go through it, because then we get a deeper grasp of why he did it. Because he loves you. When we grasp the depth of the love that God has for us, it should, the natural reaction of us should be to love God all the more. When we see there's absolutely nothing we can do and yet God gave his son for us. We're told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, the only reason we love is because God first loved us. We don't know what love is without the love of God first loving us. And the more we understand the love of God, the more we're able to love each other, but ultimately God himself. And it's not because we're lovable people, and I love you, and you are lovable people. But when you compare yourself to the almighty perfect God, we're not. There is no reason that God should have saved us outside of God's desire to save us. Paul tells us this, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then he says in Titus chapter 3, he says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, God saved us solely because of love. Because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he loved you. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then our passage today. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How much does God love us? He sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He took on our flesh. He took dead people and he made them alive. He took sinners and he made them saints. He took orphans and he gave us a family. He brought us into his family. First John chapter three, verse one says, see what kind of love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. He took you who were lost. He took you who were dead. He took you who had no hope. And he said, I'm going to bring you in through the death of my son because I love you. 
so that you can have eternal life, so that you can be called children of God. See what love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The depth of God's love for us is so incredible. It's a love that has not been matched on earth. And I'll tell you, I love my family, and oh my goodness, I love our, my wife and my child. Like, he continues to show me, yeah, that's why I love you, kid. Like, because you're amazing. But yet God loves me when I'm not amazing. God loves you. Literally, God loves you in that moment where you are there and you're like, oh, I hope that nobody ever finds out about me doing this. I hope that that thought is never revealed. And God is like, I love you. And I gave my son for that. I love you so much that I gave my only son. I'm not giving up Isaiah for any of you. I'm sorry. But God so loves you that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, not only did God create us, not only did God seek us out, not only did he pay the sacrifice, not only did he give his only son, not only did he not hold our sins against us, he brought us into his family. I mean, it's just like you keep building on top of one another. It's like, man, that's good. This is great. That's even better. I, I didn't think it could get better, but it just did. And then, wow, it even got better now. And now I'm a child of God. That is incredible. You see, this is going to seem extreme, but it's not even a glimpse of the extremity of what we went through. But imagine if, if you remember your firstborn, your only child maybe, how much you love them. And then imagine if I came alongside and I killed that child. Let's not even say it's on accident. Let's say that I maliciously, with full intent, killed your only child. How would you respond? You'd be like, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, turn, not, I'm not turning the other cheek, I'm gonna slap your face, and probably vengeance is coming. And that is how God could have handled it. He had every reason to wipe us off the face of the earth. We killed his only son, but he gave his only son also so that we could be with him. If you ever have any question of if God can love you or does love you or will continue to love you, look at the cross and you see the extent of God's love that he held absolutely nothing back so that we could be with him. The cross shows us there is nothing that we can ever do that will remove us from God's love. There is nothing that we can ever do that will make God be like, that, that one, too much. I don't love them anymore. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. God went 100% of the way to bring us into reconciliation with him, to bring us into relationship with him. You see, God didn't. God doesn't, and God won't ever wait for us to make the first move. 
It's not like God is sitting back like, you know what, I'll, I'll come to them when they come to me. Instead, Emmanuel, he sent Jesus down to dwell among us, to live with us so that we then can go live with him for eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. We love because he first loved us. He always makes the first move towards us. He draws us into relationship with him. He sent his own son, even knowing he was gonna be rejected, even knowing he was gonna be murdered. He sent his son so that we could be with him. 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then in Galatians 4, he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, I wish we could truly grasp the depth of God's love here, that, that we killed his son. And he says, you know what? You get to come and be a part of my family. I mean, who does that aside from God? And, you, you know, a lot of the common thinking is like, there's that, that anger still in God. Like, man, yeah. He sent his son to die for me so that I could have eternal life, but he's going to put me all the way in the corner of paradise so that I don't have to be in his presence. Like a lot of people have that kind of mindset because that's how, as humans, a lot of times we do reconciliation. It's like I forgive you and we can be okay as long as we're not by each other. So you just go your way, I'll go my way, and we'll call everything kosher. But that's not the way that it is with God. He says, you get to come and be a part of my family. And it's like, okay, I'm like the stepchild that the father doesn't really care about, and I have to stay all the way away there. I'm, I'm the orphan that got brought in, but really, we're one too many kids, and so I get the scraps. But instead, Galatians said, no, you get to come, and you receive the spirit of adoption in which you get to come to him and say, Abba, Father, you get to run directly into his lap. You get to run directly into his warm embrace, whereas Luke tells us in the parable of the prodigal son, he is looking for you, and when you come back, he is sprinting to find you. There's no hostility. Ephesians actually says that through Jesus, he has broken down the wall of hostility. That Hebrews tells us we get to, with confidence, approach the throne room of grace. That we get to go to God the Father and say, I am your child. I am yours. And he loves us. He loves you. So much so that he gave his only son that all you have to do is believe in him and you will never perish. You will have eternal life and you will be in direct relationship with God. So that when you get to enter into paradise, Revelation tells us the dwelling place of God is with man. That we get to go and sit at the feet of Jesus that we get to fix our eyes on God and we get to behold him in all of his beauty and we get to spend eternity with him, 
not on the outskirts of heaven, but directly in his presence. And Jesus tells us in the high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verse 3, this is what eternal life is, that you may know God the Father and his Holy One whom he has sent. That we will know him, not just as I can spit out facts about him, but I know him and he knows me. Every flaw. But the thing is, is that Hebrews tells us that when we are washed by the blood of Jesus, he doesn't see our flaws. That he has perfected us. That Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. That Jesus doesn't remember our sin. And it's not because he can't. It's because he has strictly chosen not to. He says, I'm going to look at them and all I see is love. That is the depth of the love that God the Father has for you. He held nothing back to be with you. And so that's how we're going to wrap up this series and this sermon. By remembering the love that God has for us. Because every week what we do is we gather together, we sing praises to God, and we remember this is how much God loves me. By remembering his sacrifice as he commands us, this do in remembrance of me. And so I hope that um, you grabbed your communion. If you didn't, we have tables here at the back. And uh, as Kurt leads us his song, you feel free to stand up and go get that. But what I want you to do during this song is I want you to hold that little piece of bread. And remember, this is the body of Jesus. It was broken. It was whipped. It was ripped apart so that Isaiah tells us it didn't even resemble a man. He had the hair plucked from his face. He had the nails driven through his bone and his nerves. The Romans were experts at murder, at killing people like this. They knew how to make it last forever. And Jesus suffered that for you. And then hold the juice and see that it resembles the blood of Jesus in which we are told this is the new covenant that has been ushered in. It's no longer based on the works of the law that has been fulfilled through the life of Jesus. It is now solely based on the blood of Jesus, that when we place our faith in that blood represented in the juice, we know because of the blood that Jesus shed, I have right relationship with God. Kurt's gonna lead us in a song and during that song, just sit there, look over that, pray, dwell on the love that God has for you. And then at any point that you're ready during this song, take part in remembering the sacrifice Jesus made for you.